so are you the one? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe you've, I bet you, you've thought about it a lot lately. You, if you're gift buying season, you, you look at two gifts and you say, well, are you the one or are you the one, right? Uh, what are you going to buy for your God, goddaughter or for your neighbor or for your spouse or your child? Or, or maybe you're, you're wanting adopting a pet and you're looking at all the pictures of the, the dog's faces on SPCA there and you're like, are you the one that's going to cost me a lot of money or are you the one that's going to cost me a lot of money or are you the one that's going to bring a lot of joy to my family or, or are you the one? Um, I mean, we, we ask that question all the time. Maybe during the dating season, you, you finally got the, the guts to take your significant other to the family Christmas and without a doubt, uh, your aunt cornered you in the kitchen after dinner, it said, so is this the one? Uh, and you're like, yeah, well, yeah, I don't want to answer that right now. And, and you get all those, all those questions. Are you the one? Are you the one? Are, are you the one? Um, even, even Wednesday night, we had piece of pizza here, and we, we did our Bible study in trivia form. And so we had Christmas trivia, and it was mostly, um, it was um, multiple choice, you know, A, B, C, or D. And I heard a lot of questions, like, or thoughts, bung tables well is it that one or is it that one are you the one have you ever asked that in things about that aren't so trivial have you ever asked that about jesus you know with all the world religions out there how do you know that christianity or more specifically that Jesus is the one. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through Him. That's a legitimate question. And whether you are willing to admit it or not, I, I think we've all asked it. And... If we've asked it, be assured of this, you're not the first one to ask it. Many, many years ago, uh, this guy by the name of John asked that very question. Uh, John was Jesus' disciple, or Jesus' preparer, and he, he sent his disciples one day to Jesus, and he said, ask him this, Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else you know are, jesus are you the one that that the bible has been talking about for thousands of years are are you the one that that god talked about way back in the garden of eden when he told eve right after she fell into sin said guess what there's going to be one of your offspring who's going to come and and crush the devil's head Jesus, are you the one that, that the prophets have been talking about for thousands of years now, pointing ahead as the, the Messiah? Are, are, are you the one, Jesus, that, that I was, you know, are you the Messiah that I've been preaching about, John's asking, you know, that, that I would point people to and say, look, there's the one who, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? And it seems maybe odd that of all people who asked the question on this day, it would be John. Because up until this point, his whole life, he, he seems to have displayed this, this confidence that, yeah, absolutely, uh, Jesus is the one. I mean, literally his whole life, when pregnant Mary came to John's house 
and visited, what happened? John leaped for joy inside the womb of his own mom because he knew he was in the presence of the one. Or, or later on, 30 years later, there John and Jesus are standing at the Jordan River. Jesus has just been baptized, and what does John hear? He hears this booming voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Again, John witnessed, yes. You know, all these arrows pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the one. And that's, that's what John believed. That's why his whole ministry was pointing other people to Jesus. Jesus would walk by and he'd say, look, there's the one. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But then rather surprisingly, that John, who seemed so confident for the last 30-some years, says, you guys go ask John or ask Jesus, are you really the one? Why does he ask him? The Bible doesn't necessarily tell us what's going on inside of John's mind or in his heart, but it does tell us about his circumstances. A little neat detail it says, when John, who was in prison, that's when he sent his disciples to say, Jesus, are you the one? You know, and I wonder if that's also what leads us to ask the questions at times. At, you know, at, at, at points in our life, we are so standing firm. You know, we feel like our faith is way up here. There's no way I'll ever fail. There's no way I'll ever fall. There's, there's no way I'll ever doubt in, in just a little bit, four, four people are going to stand up here, and I'm going to ask them this question. I'm going to say, do you, do you desire to remain faithful to the teachings of Christ, to be diligent in the use of God's word and sacraments, and lead a godly life as the Lord gives you strength? I have no doubt that those four people who stand up here today, and maybe you've done this similar, a similar thing in the past, but you're going to say, I do. I have no doubt that's going to happen. But when do those I do's drift into I doubts? Isn't it often when we find ourselves in our own, we'll call them prisons, our own challenging times? Maybe when we're going through a certain pain in our life or then there's a loss or maybe some disease, maybe Alzheimer's is, is really you know, attacking one of our relatives or maybe there's cancer uh, that, that takes a little one, or, or maybe we find ourselves just trapped by some temptation, or, or we find ourselves envious of, of someone that we maybe can't stand in our life, and, and there we are, uh, caught in the prison of our own doubts, shackled by some temptation that we can't seem to escape. And it's often then that we'll say something like, Jesus, are you there? Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, are you really the one? Are you the one? To admit that we even have those questions once in a while is a healthy thing. But it's also a beautiful thing then to hear the Lord's answer. How did he answer John when John said, John, are you the one? He told, he told John's disciples, all right, this is what you go back and report. 
Report to John what you hear and see. Let the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now maybe at first to us that, that doesn't seem like a, a logical answer. It seems like Jesus is avoiding the question. Why not just say, yeah, I am. I am the one. But to understand, Jesus' answer here is really, really beautiful. Instead of just saying, yes, I am, all of these phrases, in fact, we heard some of them already from Isaiah 35, all of these phrases that Jesus quotes, these are quotes of the Old Testament prophets. Old Testament prophets for thousands of years have been saying, you know what, when the Messiah comes, guess what's going to happen? The, the blind are going to receive sight. When the Messiah comes, guess what's going to happen? The lame are going to walk. When the Messiah comes, guess what's going to happen? The deaf are going to hear. And so he says to these disciples, he says, okay, you guys know the scriptures. And, and you know all these things were said were going to happen. And guess what's happening? All these things are happening. So you guys make the logical conclusion here. All right, if A equals B and B equals C, therefore A equals C. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah Jesus is the one. And so you can imagine the, the, these disciples running back to John's cell, and, and they're going to report this to him. And, and if you're John sitting in that prison cell, what are you going to, what's your reaction going to be when they say, well, well let me tell you what we hear and see. We hear and see that the, that the blind see and the lame walk and the leprosy is being cured and the deaf are going to hear. And, and I'm like, John, I'm like going, phew, all right, all right, I, I was, I was pointing people to the right person. Uh, I, was, I was living for the right person. I'm, I was willing to risk my life and sit here in prison for the right reason, for the right person. And yet, maybe it's there where I would press pause. If Jesus is in fact the one, if he's in fact the Messiah, then why? Why am I still sitting here? If he can make the lame walk, why can't he just open up those doors and let me walk out of here? If he can make the blind see, why can't he? You know, I'm his prophet. I'm his cousin. Why can't he just let me see freedom? Now, there's absolutely no scriptural basis to say that's what John thought. But I just know that's what I think. Or that's what I would think. If I was John, and I'd, I'd maybe find myself back in that, that same cycle of, Jesus, are you really the one? And I, and I think that happens too, is that whenever we see examples of Jesus' power in our lives, whenever we, we hear maybe a message that just really accentuates God's love and, and God's justice being carried out, we're like, yay! And then we look at our life and say, but now where are you here? And it, it almost, like I said, it gets in this horrible cycle. Well, if you did that, then why don't you do this? And maybe that's where you and I have to shift our questions a little bit. And, ask, and be honest with ourselves. Are we looking for the Bible's Messiah? Or are we looking for my Messiah? Are we looking, you know, instead of asking, should we look for someone else? Or maybe we have to ask ourselves, maybe I should be looking for something else than what I am right now. 
So often when I look for the Messiah, when I look for God to act in my life, what am I looking for? I'm looking for the healer. I'm looking for the helper. I'm looking for the miracle worker. And can Jesus do that? Does Jesus do that? Absolutely. He can make the lame walk. He can make the deaf hear. He can, he can cure the, the leprosy, you know, the incurable diseases. But don't stop there. That'd be my encouragement with these words. Don't stop with the first four or so couplets. But especially look at the last two. He can also make the dead raised and good news is preached to the poor. That's the Messiah of the Bible. And ultimately, think about what that meant to John. Those first few phrases, yeah, they all assured him. This is the Mess- he, he checks all the boxes, right? Everything that the Old Testament people said, this is what the Messiah is going to do, this is what he's going to do. Okay, yep, 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 that's Jesus the Messiah. But now, here you have John, who is facing his own death rather soon. He's going to be beheaded by King Herod. But he would hear this promise that this Messiah can't just make the lame walk or the blind see, but he can also raise you from the dead. And John maybe wouldn't hear, yes, I'm going to spring you from your cell, John, but he would hear, I'm going to spring you from your sins. As this, as this Messiah preaches the good news, right? The good news, the gospel, that's what good news is. It's the gospel. That Jesus is your Savior. That's what John was reminded of as he heard this report. That's the Messiah that John needed at that very moment. That's the Messiah that John had. That's the Messiah that you and I need. That's the Messiah that you and I have. Who doesn't just do the miracles of nature, but he also is the one who conquered death. He's the one who forgives us our sins. That's the Messiah you have. And so we can learn, learn tons from this conversation, this sermon, so to speak, that Jesus gives to the disciples. That's not the only sermon that happens, though, on this particular day. After the disciples leave and they go and report this all to John, uh, Jesus then turns his attention to the crowd. And it's rather interesting how Jesus makes this pivot. You know, how does he assure John as far as his expectations about the Messiah? He points him to Scripture, right? Look at all these things that Scripture says. See, there you go. Well, now he addresses the expectations of the crowd and their expectations of John. Uh, and and you, you go through some of those things there that I read earlier, and three times he said, what did you guys go out to see? What did you expect to see when you went to see John? A reed? Did you expect to see somebody in fine clothes? All these things. And, and how he addresses their expectations is the same, he uses the same tool that he used for his, his own identity. He points to Scripture. He says these words, he says, he says um, um, getting down here, he says, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He uses scripture to uphold the person of John. And you think about, oh, and then he, and then he goes on to say this, 
this awesome endorsement. Uh, Truly, I tell you, which was kind of, that's a favorite phrase of Jesus. Every time he's about to drop the mic, every time he's just about to give you something that you want to latch on to, he says, truly, I tell you. Uh, Among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Again, you think about what an endorsement. John was, he was kind of an odd duck. Um, he, he dressed weird. He preached differently. And, and so what does he do here? He, he holds up the people. He says, what's your expectations of the preacher? Don't just look for somebody who's eloquently speaking. Don't, don't just think, you know, no, finally, that, that guy who's a nutcase is locked up where he should be. But Jesus uses scripture to say, no, this is the one about whom it is written. Scripture talked about him, and, and, Jesus, and John did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to prepare the way for me. And then you have this awesome commentary, right? There is no one, no one greater than him. And so, my question for us today, so who are we? Are we the one, are we John or John's disciples who maybe have our expectations of the Messiah a little skew that need to be recalibrated through Scripture? Are we maybe the crowds who have these expectations of, of preachers that, that maybe our thoughts need to be recalibrated to say, you know what, their main purpose is to do what Jesus says here, to prepare the way for him, and that's, that's the main job? This is rather interesting, is that in this case, which I always recommend that. Anytime you read Scripture, try to put yourself into the shoes of some of the people there and read it the same way from different perspectives. But in this case, you don't have to try on anybody else's shoes because you and I are here. I don't know if you heard Jesus or see Jesus talking about you, but it's right there in that last line. After he talks about John, he goes on to say, Yet... Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's you. And you maybe didn't realize that, but, but what does this mean? The, the kingdom of heaven is used numerous ways throughout Scripture. But whenever it's talking about John the Baptist, uh, in the context of John, uh, he preached all the time, repent, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. That phrase, when it would come out of John's mouth, would be saying, there's a new era coming. John and all the rest of the Old Testament disciples, it was their goal to always point ahead to Jesus. But now John's about to die. All the other prophets are dead. And he's saying, this New Testament era, where Jesus has come, is where you're living now. And, and Jesus says, you know what? Everybody who lives then is actually greater. Not so much in status or importance, but in privilege. The whole Old Testament lived with this idea that, is, is that the one who is to come? You and I get to live knowing Jesus is the Messiah who came. We don't have to think about promises spoken. We live in an era where we can live in promises fulfilled. And 
as we head into these last two weeks before Christmas, I, I guess I would just ask it, let that be your prayer, that y- you realize what a privilege we have. Cherish that privilege. That as we, as we look forward uh, to, to Jesus coming, you know, two weeks from today, on Saturday and Sunday, we get to come and celebrate a birth. We're not coming to celebrate an expectant birth. We're coming to celebrate a birth that happened. Uh, Two weeks from today, we're going to come and celebrate that God took on flesh. But we get to do so knowing that that flesh would grow up and be offered on a cross to pay for our sins. Two weeks from today, we're going to gather together here and we're going to hear a message from the angel saying, Peace! But we're going to be able to do that from the perspective that we know 30-some years later, that same Jesus would walk into a room with his disciples and say, Peace be with you, as the resurrected Lord who had defeated death. Two weeks from today, we're going to celebrate with the shepherds who went around glorifying and praising God for everything that they had heard and seen. Because of when we live, through the eyes of Scripture, we have heard and seen not just that Jesus was born, but that Jesus was born, lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, watches over all things now for your benefit. And so glorify. Glorify and praise your Lord, knowing that you have this privilege. You have this privilege of knowing that Jesus isn't just the Messiah who is to come, but that Jesus is the Messiah who came. We don't have to expect anyone else, because Jesus, Jesus is the one. Amen.